Good morning, everyone. It's uh, been a while since I've been up here, and uh, it's not too intimidating. I'm used to preaching to, to those wonderful seniors on a Thursday afternoon, a little bit of a smaller crowd, but this is good. I like this. I like this range of ages this morning. This is good. I'm going to go uh, off of the series in 1 Samuel this morning, but I'm going to stay in the Old Testament and uh, share with you what God has laid on my heart. And it's a moment um, in Moses' life, a moment in Moses' life that really uh, had a huge impact on him, eventually had a huge impact on the nation of Israel. And it's uh, one of those moments where he was just a little reluctant to follow God. I think you probably know which passage I'm going to go to. He was reluctant to follow God. It didn't define who he was because we know later on he followed God uh, just so with, with such devotion. And, uh, but we're going to look at that moment and see how that applies to us today. But I want to, uh, I want to start by asking you a question. How would you describe your level of obedience to God? I'm going to start off with a tough question this morning. How would you start? How would you describe your level of obedience to God? What would you say is characterized by obediently following him all the time in your life? What would you say or how would you say your life is characterized by following him all the time? Can you think of a time in your life when you just plain went against the direction of the Holy Spirit that he was clearly leading you in? I can think of a time in my life when I was uh, a young man at Bible college. I was 19 20 years old, and I was in my second year at uh, Canadian Bible College back then, that's what it was called, in Regina, the great city of Regina, Saskatchewan. And I had, uh, I'd, I'd finished my second year, and I, I had two more to go to finish off my degree. And to come back for my third year pretty much meant at least to me, that I would finish off my degree and head into ministry at that point. And I had kind of battled God for those two years as to whether I should be at Bible college. Um, I just wanted to go to Bible college for a year, just to get a little bit more foundation in my life and then, um, and then pursue my real what I really wanted to do when I came out of high school in those first few years, I wanted to pursue what I really wanted to do, and that was to be a sports announcer. That's, that's what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I wanted to be a sports announcer, particularly hockey, Hockey Night in Canada. I wanted to be the Bob Cole of the Leafs, the Danny Gallivans of the Montreal Canadiens, if you remember that, Danny Gallivan. The, if, if, if you have any connection to the Oilers, of which I grew up out west, so my connection to the Oilers is a little stronger, but it's the Rod Phillips of the Oilers. He was a play-by-play guy. I wanted to be one of those guys. But now there I was, and I was at the end of my second year, and I was at a crossroads. Do I go back for my third year 
and follow the path that God was clearly leading me down, or do I pursue something else that I really wanted to do? I took the second option. I went to pursue something else. That did not go well. Just saying, it didn't go well. I couldn't get into, I couldn't get into radio broadcasting, TV at that point. I, could, I applied, couldn't get in. It's very, very demanding, uh, high sort of, a uh, lot, of, lot of applications, couldn't get in. Tried some other things, it didn't go well. I spent the next four years, the next four years dodging what God was really leading me to do. And in my mind, I had all kinds of excuses as to why I shouldn't go back to Bible college and become a pastor. I think we can probably relate to some of that, can't we? We can think of when God is leading us down a certain direction, we can think of all kinds of excuses as to why we don't want to follow that leading. And some of you are here today, you're sitting in that chair in this room today, and you're exactly in that position. You know what God wants you to do. You're sitting there trying to make up all kinds of excuses in your mind as to why you shouldn't do it. <clears throat> well, thankfully, to make a long story short, God led me back to college. I finished off my degree. I met my wife, Julie. And the rest, they say, is, is history, or as I like to say, the story of God's leading in my life. So this morning, <clears throat> we're going to take a moment we're going to look at a moment in Moses' life that is, is, as I said, probably very familiar to you. And I hope as we go through it today that you're reminded of who Christ is, of who Christ is. And you're reminded of who we are. And I say we because I include that. I include uh, myself in this challenge and this reminder to each of us this morning. We are reminded of who we are in, in following obediently the direction the Lord lays down in front of us. I'm going to be looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4, well, 3 and about half of chapter 4. You can turn in your, your Bibles or on your cell phone to that. And the sections of Moses' interaction with God regarding going back to Egypt. And I'm not going to read those two chapters this morning, but uh, you can turn in your Bible, as I said, and I will be referring to uh, verses as, as we go along in those, cha- in those chapters. But let's, let's take a moment and let's remind ourselves of what has gone on up to this point in his life, in Moses' life. The Jewish nation was growing rapidly in Egypt, and the land was filling up with Israelites. But now a new king took over, and he did not know Joseph. He did not know Joseph of the, of the Israelites. He was not familiar with him. And the Israelite nation actually kind of scared him with their numbers. And he had to do a few things. At least he thought he needed to do a few things. So he did two things. First of all, he severely oppressed them. You remember, you remember that story? He made them make more bricks with less straw. He just severely oppressed them. And he took them and he declared that all the male Hebrew babies born were to be thrown into the Nile. Well, this was the time when Moses was born. 
His mother hid him for the first three months of his life, but she realized she couldn't hide him anymore. So she made a basket, put him into the Nile, hoping somehow he would be saved. While Pharaoh's daughter was there, found Moses, took him back to the palace to live with her. So Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. And then one day he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he killed the Egyptian. And he hid his body in the sand thinking that no one saw him. But one of the Hebrews confronts him about the whole incident. And Moses became afraid and he fled to the land of Midian. It was there that he had an encounter with God through a burning bush. God then tells Moses of the affliction he sees of his people and that he has a new place for them that that will be their land and will be their home. And then God says in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And it is here that I want to pick up the account. God has now given Moses a task to do. God has given him clear instructions in that verse. God didn't say to him, or God didn't let him decide whether he would like to do it or not. He didn't say, you know, Moses, if you're, if you're up to this, How do you feel about going back into Egypt and freeing my people from the Egyptians? You know, God didn't say, here is what I want you to do. I want you to take a few days to think about it, and then you get back to me. (laughs) God gave Moses a job to do and expected obedience in following it. But look at Moses' response in in these two chapters. Again, In chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we see what God wants him to do. Go to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children, out 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 of Egypt. And look at Moses' response. He says, who am I that I should go? Verse 11. Then God says in verse 12 of that chapter, he says, but I will be with you. And Moses responds in verse 13, and he says, Well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I going to say? What shall I say? Moses is saying, Who am I supposed to represent? And then God says these powerful, powerful words to him. I am who I am. Say to them, I am sent me. Boy, those are powerful, powerful words. And then we go to chapter 4 and verse 1, and Moses says, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So what does God do? He gives him a sign with his staff, and he made it a serpent. And then he turns it back into a staff again. And then God made his hand leprous, and then he restored his hand to health. But that still wasn't enough for Moses. Now he says in verse 10, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then he says, Please send someone else. <laughs> How often have we said those words to God? Please send somebody else. 
Let's just pause for a second. <clears throat> you almost can't blame Moses for his reluctance in obeying God. You almost can't blame him. He had some reasons. First of all, his relationship with the Egyptians. He came into Pharaoh's house. He grew up in it. He left there because he killed an Egyptian, and the Pharaoh, it tells us, sought to kill him. <laughs> Why would he go back there? He doesn't actually know what really has happened since he left. He's been, he's been wandering around in Midian all this time. He doesn't really know what's gone on there. But he's thinking, why would I go back there? If I go back there, they're going to kill me. And he probably remembered how powerful Egypt was as a nation. Probably the most powerful nation at that time in history. And again, the years spent, he spent growing up in Pharaoh's house, he saw the power of it. And he might have thought, well, how could I, one man, go against this powerful nation? So why would he want to go back into that situation? Why would he want to go back and kind of stir things up again? So one of the reasons that perhaps he was reluctant was his history with the nation Israel. Second, perhaps Moses' reluctance may have had to do with his relationship with the Israelites. They kind of knew him, basically knew him as someone who was from Pharaoh's house. Could he convince them that he was on their side? Again, you look at his words that he said to God in verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses says, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. He wasn't so sure they would believe him or listen to him or follow him at best. So again, why would he put himself in that position? You know, at this point in his life, it looks like he had a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of reluctance. He was really bargaining with God and trying to squirm his way out of it. It's hard to be a fan of Moses but I want, at, at this point in his life, but I, I want to explore why his reluctance was wrong. Let me give you three reasons. First of all, it was wrong because it shows his distrust in God. Moses said four things to God. He says, who am I that I should go? God tells him to go. He says, who am I that I should go? He questions God. How would the people believe that you have sent me? How are the people going to believe that you sent me? Number three, I'm not eloquent. I am slow of speech. And then he says the fourth thing, please send someone else. <laughs> Moses, we could say, was really battling God here. And again, it displays how much he was willing, he, or he wasn't willing to follow. You know, it's interesting as we look at other accounts of these great men of faith in the Bible and God giving them instructions and their response to him right away. For instance, Noah. When God told him to build an ark, he didn't question God. Even though it seemed so outrageous, he just went ahead and did it and soldiered on for many years building that ark. When God called Abraham out of his home country to go to a new land, he didn't question God about what, what his family might say 
Or what kind of situation is there when we, you know, I don't know what kind of land I'm going to, so I'm not sure. Can you give me a little bit more information? He didn't question God about that. It tells us in Scripture that Abraham went as the Lord told him. And we see that same trust as Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land. But here is Moses. (laughs) And he's standing there before God. And he's questioning him. He's reluctant to go. When God directed Moses, God was speaking to him from a burning bush that was not consumed. That should have been enough for Moses to put his trust in God. But every time Moses asked a question or gave a statement, he was showing his distrust in God. Secondly, it shows who he was uh, really relying on. And he was really relying on himself. Again, he says, who am I? Who am I? I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech. Please send someone else. That shows a man who is looking at his own strengths or lack thereof. And not on God. In fairness, you could say, well, this was his first encounter with God. But yet God tells him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. By saying these words, he's reminding Moses of his forefathers, of how he led them, of the covenants that he set up with them, of how he empowered them to fulfill what he wanted them to do. But Moses just wasn't catching on. He wasn't seeing it. And he continued to question God. And by doing that, he was really relying on himself and his own strengths as he looked at this situation. Third, we see his lack of faith in God. Through Moses' questioning and questioning God, he was really questioning whether God could actually pull this off. He was questioning whether God could actually help him rescue the nation of Israel. And so Moses, he he fights with his lack of faith in God. And God says, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to take them to the land of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give the Israelites favor in in the sight of the Egyptians so that when you leave, you will plunder them. But that wasn't enough for Moses. So as I've already mentioned, and as we see in the first part of chapter 4 again, God turns his staff into a, into a snake and then back again. And he makes his hand leprous and then he heals it. And then he says, okay, God, I'm, I'm just, I'm not good with speaking. See, this is where Moses was different from his forefathers. He just didn't have faith in God right away. And at this point in Moses' life, he was just so hesitant to do what God was asking him to do. So what can we learn from him and this account to apply to our lives today? Well, the first way we can apply this to our lives is by not looking at who we are, but who God is. When he directs us to do something, 
He will equip us to do the task. That's what we need to remember. When, when he directs us to do something, he will equip us to do the task. We can be like Moses and we can say no. No, God, I can't do that because I don't have the skills. I can't do that because I'm too old. I can't do that because that's way out of my comfort zone. We can come up with all kinds of excuses, but that is because we're looking at who we are. And when we focus on self, our insecurities, our hesitations, our reluctance, our excuses, they all rise to the surface. What we need to look at is who God is. And what beautiful verse in scripture that shows who God is and what he says is in Philippians 4.18. And it says this about God. Paul writes and he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is part, part of Paul's final words to the Christians in Philippi. And when Paul says these words, he's helping them to look to God. Not on their circumstances or what they have or what they don't have. He's saying to them, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Let those words pierce into your heart this morning as you think about what Jesus is directing you to do for him. Jesus is all you need. Perhaps Jesus has directed you to to do a certain task. Perhaps he's directed you to go in a certain direction. And when God is pulling us a certain way, we need to remember that he will be faithful to complete whatever that is. He will give you everything that you need to complete that task. Don't be like Moses and come up with every excuse. Trust in Jesus that he will give you the ability and the resources to carry it out. Look to God. Don't look to yourself. The second way we can apply this to our lives is to commit commit to be men and women who obey when God calls. Something you might want to do on your own is a little word search in the Bible on the word obey or obedience or obedient. Read all those verses and their surrounding verses. But here's the challenge. We can read all those verses, but are we going to follow what they say? Jesus has left instruction in the Bible for us for how we are to live our lives. And of course, one of those instructions is to obey him. But sometimes we get into our own way of living life and the the words of Jesus, although we know them, we just don't follow them. It's kind of like you working for a company. And your owner finds it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an an extended period of time uh, abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, he says, 
look, I'm going to leave. And while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away. And I will write you regularly. And when I do, I will instruct you in what you should do from now until I return from my trip. And you and all the other employees, you agree. Yep, that sounds really good. We, we will certainly look forward to your, your emails, your letters, your texts, whatever it may be. So he leaves. And he's gone for a couple of years. And during that time, he communicates with them often. And he, he uh, communicates about his desires, about his concerns for the business, about keeping up with, with the property and, and the management of the business. And then one day he returns. And he walks in the front door of the company and immediately discovers everything is in a mess. The grounds outside the building are all overgrown. Weeds have come all over the place. There's, everything is just a mess. Windows are broken in some parts of the building. The receptionist at the front desk is sleeping. Loud music is roaring from some of the offices. Two or three people are in the back room playing euchre. And instead of making a profit, the business has suffered a great loss. And without hesitation, he calls everyone together and he frowns and he asks, what happened? What's going on here? Did you not get my letters? And you and the other employees all respond, oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. We, we, uh, we got all your letters. We even bound them in a book. And some of them we have memorized. Some of these letters we actually memorized. In fact, we have a letter study every Sunday. <laughs> you know, those were really great letters. And the owner says, or the owner asks, but... But what did you do about my instruction? And you and all the other employees say, do? Well, nothing. But we read every one of them. God wants us to obey him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to follow him. There's an old hymn that I used to sing at church when I was a young child <clears throat> growing up in Alberta. And we sang it especially when we, we would have our annual missions conference. And as I was preparing this sermon, I, th I thought of this hymn. And I just want to read uh, the first verse and, and the chorus for you because it speaks, the, the hymn writer is speaking of a heart that really wants to be obedient to Christ. Let me read that first verse and chorus for you. It may not be in the mountain's height, or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front, my Lord may have need of me. But if by still small voice he calls to pass, I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Can you say those words today? Not tomorrow. Not after you've had time to contemplate what they might mean for your life. Can you say it today? Can you commit to obeying and following the Lord today? You might be thinking, oh, 
I've been over the plains, Pastor Lyle. I've been over the mountains. I've been on the sea. It's time for somebody else. I've done all that. It's time for somebody else. I'm too old. Maybe you might think at this point in your life, I've got too much on the go. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to obey the Lord, but he's got to come within my, my, my circumstances here. You don't understand my position. <laughs> I got kids going here, there, and everywhere. Got demands of my job. I want to obey the Lord, but I just, I'll do, I'll, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking you're too young. Some of you young adults here today. Some of you in, in, in high school. Ah, I'm too young. I have my education. I have my training I need to do. I just got into the workforce. I got all this. God, God called me to do something else. I don't know if I can do that. I just, I'm just not ready for that. You see, we have all kinds of excuses, just like Moses. But here's the deal. We need to commit to being that man or woman who is set on obeying God wherever he directs you and me to go, to go wherever he directs us, whatever he directs us to do, whatever he directs us or whenever he directs us to follow him, wherever, whatever, whenever, we need to be that man or woman that's following God and obeying him. Finally, we can apply this moment in Moses' life to our lives today by being a person who lives by faith. Faith in God. It's so easy to live by sight. It's so easy to live by our emotions and our wants and our desires, our thoughts, what we can feel, hear, and touch. That's tangible. And this is kind of where Moses was at. But the good news is, as you read on in the story of Moses, we see that he eventually did live by faith in God. Look at uh, chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on, on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. What that staff meant to Moses is kind of a sermon all in itself. But here's, here's what's important. He followed God. He didn't question God when God said, to, said this to him again. It says, and he went back to the land of Egypt. Now he has faith to follow God. And then we read in Hebrews eleven twenty four, and it tells us, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So let us be that person of faith that is willing to forsake the world and go into that unknown with God. I'm going to close with this little, little story <clears throat> about three men who really followed God into the unknown. It was December 4th of 1893. And there's three men, Walter Gowans, Roland Bingham, both of Toronto, 
Thomas Kent of Buffalo. And they land in Lagos, Nigeria in 1893. Their aim as they left North America, sailed across the Atlantic into Africa, their aim was to establish a witness among 60 million people that live south of the Sahara between the Niger River and the Nile. Big area, 60 million people, 1893. Gowans and Kent died in the first few months. Gowans was 25 years old. Kent was 23. Bingham, the survivor, he was 21. He returns to Canada, where he formed a council. And he went back to Africa in 1900. That attempt failed as well. But he knew this was a task the Lord wanted him to do. And so in 1901, Bingham sent out a party that succeeded in establishing the mission's first base at Patagai, 500 miles up the Niger River. These men, they knew the task before them. All three of them had faith in God. Two of them lost their lives following the Lord. But one of them continued on. He could have easily said, enough. I'm not going back there. I go back there, I'll probably just die. But he didn't. He knew what God was calling him to. And he had faith that God wanted him to reach these lost people. Do we have faith like that? Our faith will probably not lead us to some deep, dark jungle or some other remote place on this earth. But maybe down the hallway of our apartment building to help a a neighbor who is struggling. It may be uh, an aisle at the grocery store as we talk with a stranger and we have the opportunity to speak of Christ. It may be down the street to a neighbor to show the love of Jesus. Maybe God will open up a door for us to speak to someone at work because they're having a problem. They're having a huge crisis in their life. And we can tell them how we have found how Jesus has helped us in the time of crisis. We don't know what opportunities God will present before us. But whatever and wherever it may be, we have to have the faith in him to lead us because we don't have it in and of ourselves. And we have to have the faith that he will supply Always, time after time, he will supply our need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So are you open to that? Are you open to obeying God where he wants you to go? To do the things he wants you to do? To say say the things to the people around you that you need to say? And can you obey him like that day after day after day for the rest of your life? See, our obedience to God is not solely characterized by the assorted or various or mixed tasks that the Lord gives us. Our obedience is not characterized by how difficult a task is, thinking somehow the harder the task, the more obedient I must be. Our obedience to him is marked by our submission to him 
without hesitation or what we think suits us best. Our obedience to him is marked by how cheerfully and submissively we walk in the path in which God leads us. Our obedience to him is not self-seeking and seeks nothing except more of him. Our obedience is hopeful when things don't look hopeful. Our obedience is encouraged when things look discouraging. It is, it is to trust in nothing but God himself and to serve him wholly with all that we have in our heart, in our soul, and our mind. And we do this all by the will and power of God. So what area or areas in your life do you need to be more obedient to God? In what ways can you obey him more and more in your life? You know what he's asking you to do. You know the direction he is calling you for your life. You know what he, he wants you to do tomorrow, the next day, the day after. He's got that all planned out. He knows exactly what you want to do. Can you follow him in that? Let us be men and women who obey when God calls. Moses' start with God was a little rough, but as he grew in his faith, his trust and obedience, his relationship strengthened. The God of the burning bush became his God, and he devoted himself as he led his people out of, out of Israel and Egypt, and he showed his faith in God each and every step of the way, and his obedience to God each and every step of the way. Let us grow in our faith, in our trust, and our obedience to God today for the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that you are such a faithful God. We thank you that in you we have all that we need. All that we need. And Lord, I pray that as we now look at our obedience to you, that Lord, you would help us to be more and more obedient to you each and every day of our lives, that we would follow you no matter what, that we would speak of you to whomever you place in our path, that, Lord, we would be, as your scripture tells us, a salt and light to those around us. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in obeying you. I pray that you would give them the strength that they need the assurance that they need, that you are there with them. Just as you said to Moses, and you said to Joshua, and you said to so many of those, those um, forefathers in the Bible, you said to your disciples, I am with you always. Lord, let us, let us remember that, that you are always with us. And Lord, I pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.